interviews and insights with the biggest names in Canadian baseball. This is the CBN Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Canadian Baseball Network podcast. The season is over. It's dark at five o'clock, and it's just a generally sad time, Jackson. <laughs> yes, the uh, the baseball off season that is one of the worst parts is certainly the weather. Uh, you miss the summer days when baseball is actually being played. It's also pretty boring uh, in the winter too when there's not transactions happening. Uh, but our guest today, uh, he's anything but boring. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of things here with Keegan Matheson, MLB.com beat writer for the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to jump back to those press conferences uh, about a month ago with Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, and then jump into the offseason, what he thinks this team should and could do leading into 2024. And that they're going to get Shohei Otani. <laughs> it's, they're talking, as, as you'll hear um, in this podcast, but what that means... I'll leave it up to the imagination. All right, we're thrilled to have back uh, MLB.com Blue Jays beat reporter Keegan Matheson. Keegan, welcome back. Hey, guys. Thank you for uh, for having me back. How's everyone doing? You're doing quite well. How are you? How are you? Relaxing. Um, you know, uh, living a more sustainable life now in the offseason. It's, uh, you know, buying groceries more than two days at a time. A lot of that uh, luxurious stuff that I get to do now for a few months. Yeah, I think the last time we talked to you, you were in Colorado and it was about 40 degrees. So uh, oh, a little bit God. different now. That makes sense. This is more my season. I uh, I chose the wrong sport. I, I almost wish I liked hockey, which is the nicest thing I'll say about it. But uh, yeah, this is more my season. Yeah, well, we're here to talk baseball. We're here to talk the Blue Jays off season. But before we kind of jump ahead here, I want to jump back a little bit to that Ross Atkins press conference. I know you've covered it extensively. You were there. Um, when you walked away from that, you know, everyone knows what we're talking about, but when you walked away from that, what were you thinking as far as how that all transpired? Yeah, the the Ross Atkins one was really interesting for me because I actually wasn't at that one. I was at the Mark Shapiro presser, but for Ross Atkins, I was helping out with our ALDS coverage. That's right. Baltimore. So I was listening in at the same time as everyone else um, with a few of the same reactions, uh, maybe as everybody else. Uh, I remember it was before I went down to the clubhouse to, I think I was covering Texas uh, that day and sitting in an empty press box, um, you know, for a game or a series that the Blue Jays probably should have been in. And he didn't waste any time, did he? It was immediately John Schneider, what's up? And uh, I was surprised uh, at how quickly it went there. I was very surprised at how directly uh, it went there because the word collaboration, like many words in baseball, I don't know what the hell it means anymore. They lose all meaning. Just like analytics, we have beaten the definition out of analytics by arguing about it when really it's a, it's a simple thing. It's information, it's getting smarter. But collaboration is a great thing when you are succeeding, everyone gets a piece of the pie. When it goes wrong, it's not as evenly shared sometimes. And I think I said a couple of times on the radio after that, that I'd, I, I would love it if at the top of my stories, there were 20 names 
And when it was a bad story, I can say, oh, that was Mike, that was Kelly, that was somebody else. Um, that wasn't a good look. I think everybody saw that. A anybody watching with a small inclination of how this team works, not a good look. Uh, that's why I think Ross Atkins walked that back a little bit and tried to correct that uh, recently at the GM meetings. But it kind of set the tone for an offseason that doesn't feel good yet. You know what I mean? The, the whole season didn't feel good. And you want the offseason to, as quickly as possible, become either hope or a different vibe or a different something else. And that very quickly set the same tone, which uh, is not the uh, not the branding <laughs> you want if you're the Blue Jays, because that was not a good season. And how, speaking of that kind of, um, how that leads in the offseason, how problematic do you think that is? I mean, he can walk it back all he wants, but it, it, what was said was said. Um, going into spring training next year, do you think, you know this team better than anyone, do you think this could potentially linger and cause an issue of trust right from the beginning of 2024? I don't think it's actively harmful. Uh, I just don't think it helps. You know, the, the Blue Jays had an opportunity right there early on to go in a better direction and kind of stayed on that same course. So I don't think it's anything that a free agent is saying, oh, my goodness, I'm not going there. But I always talk about tiebreakers. You know, geography is a tiebreaker. Money is always going to win. Always. But if two teams are offering a guy eight years, 160 million, that's when you start to look at, ah, okay. Where will me and my wife and my kids live? What kind of quality of life are we going to have there beyond 160 million bucks? What's the team like? What are my teammates like? Where is their spring training complex? Th those tiebreakers that come into it. This would still be way down. But if the Blue Jays are talking about more trust, more transparency, there's one of those words I still haven't figured out the definition of. But when they're talking about things, you want to see it happen. And the offseason started off on the opposite note. I don't think it really stayed in step with the messaging. Tomorrow, everyone forgets. It's easy, but in terms of just the vibe of the offseason, not great. For sure. And then, uh, you know, a week or so later, Mark Shapiro had his press conference. You were at that one because you asked the first question. Somehow, I don't know how you get first in line all the time, but you always seem to be the first one asking questions at press conferences. Um, what did you think of that one? Because from the outside, from my perspective on the outside looking in, I thought it was a masterclass of how to put up a, a fire. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but from your perspective, being there and maybe discussions that you had after the fact, how did you feel that it went? Yeah, when it comes to these front office jobs, um, some are better than others at doing the dance. And I do not mean that in a negative. Uh, I, I know that because I'm a reporter, that sounds like a shot. I genuinely don't mean it as that. It's part of the job. You can be good at it or you can be bad at it. Mark Shapiro is good at it. And I know that fans do not always love what he is saying or what the Blue Jays are doing. And if the Jays are doing something, Shapiro's attached to that. But in terms of his messaging, I think you saw him being much more direct in terms of acknowledging, yeah, this was not good enough. And in terms of acknowledging directly to himself, I've got to do better. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Now, nothing is perfect. Nothing. There's no such thing as a press conference that leaves fans going, yeah, fantastic. You know, that, that does not happen. 
as long as they are not lighting torches and pitchforks, you've done all right. Uh, I, I think Shapiro's was certainly in a better direction. Um, you know, my first question off the top was, is Ross Atkins your GM? Because going into Atkins press conference, obviously, if you're doing a presser, you're going to stick around. But based on how that went, it, it changed my mind. It honestly made me believe there was more of an opening to a change happening. But uh, once that was out of the way, it was interesting to hear him talk to what the actual issue was. That's something we didn't hear as much of or as clearly from Ross Atkins saying that, yeah, there, there's an issue with transparency, with the information getting from point A to point B to point C. That's not a fun or sexy thing to talk about, but I think it's one of the single most important things in Major League Baseball right now is finding people or teams or groups of coaches who, yeah, understand the numbers. Everyone understands the numbers. This isn't the money ball era. You're looking for an inch, not a mile on another team, but it's having the people skills. It's, I think sometimes we call them like soft skills, you know, communication skills, interpersonal skills to be able to communicate, not just what it means, but why a player should care. And that is the toughest thing. The teams that win are good. Sure. If you've got a team full of players who after blowing a wild card are telling me and other reporters, I don't know why that move was made. I was surprised. That's not it. That's just not it. You don't hear winning teams say that. So I think at least from Shapiro, we, we got to the heart of what was happening, which is <laughs> murky and still a bit confusing, but a communication issue through the organization. And step one is identifying what's wrong. And, and that's an important part. Yeah. And I think what impressed me about it specifically was he was able to take it from about a, a level hundred down to at least a 50 to a, to a simmering as, as opposed to a boil, but you know, he, he did talk about communication and I guess that kind of leads into the coaching um, situation and what's going on with that. We heard earlier this week that Guillermo Martinez is going to be back as a hitting coach, Don Mattingly shifting into an offensive coordinator role, whatever that entails. Um, is it, do you find it problematic, I guess, in the sense that they talk about how, how communication needs to improve, but it's all the same voices in the room? Yeah, it's obviously going to have to improve from within, which is a bolder bet than making changes. You know, making a big change seems like the bold, brazen thing, but running it back with the same group and hoping for better, that's bolder. That's riskier, in my opinion. The Blue Jays are really betting on it working differently. And when you look at just this past 18 months, this is already an, organiza an organization sorry, that kind of pivoted from offense to defense and pitching. Now they're trying to pivot back to the middle, maybe, and doing all of that with the same staff that they believe evidently can adapt to that. Uh, having Don Mattingly return, if he's not hired as a manager, as bench coach and offensive coordinator. MLB front office titles, which are just – a lot of wannabe Wall Street CEO type titles. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's trickling into the dugout. We're going to get more words and syllables every year. Uh, baseball loves to do that for whatever reason, but uh, it, it does mean a broader scope to what he's doing. Dave Hudgens out. He goes somewhere else in the organization. Guillermo Martinez stays. 
Uh, we'll see how this looks at the end. It wouldn't surprise me to see another voice added to that hitting coach equation. It's complicated. But, man, they, they are betting on doing it differently with the same coaches and same front office. Uh, that is bold. But one thing I'll add to this, and this is kind of broad philosophy, and it, it's what I said from the start, and it's why I said – over the last month, I didn't think there would be many firings. I don't view situations like this as baseball anymore. Now, every company, I have a boss. He has a boss. He has a boss. Um, at the Blue Jays, the company, not the baseball team, um, you have Mark Shapiro. You have Ross Atkins. You have John Schneider. You have a coaching staff. Now, when there is a firing, let's let's say in my job, if it work for me, if I fire them, Bill goes wrong. Who's next in line? Me. So in some of these situations where everyone sticks around, everyone else also keeps the guy in front of them, keeps that shield that is there. And maybe it's a situation where you see in-season moves next year if it doesn't go right. But it seems at this point that everyone has stayed protected and everyone has maintained that one layer of protection in front of them when you look at this as a, a bit of a hierarchy. Jays fans are not going to like to hear that. <laughs> are you looking for a fun activity to keep your children active this holiday season? Well, swing into the holidays and head to the Baseball Zone for fun and learning at the Baseball Zone's 2023 Snowball Baseball Camp. They offer an unbeatable combination of physical training and a great social atmosphere. With their one-of-a-kind approach, your child will gain confidence, improve their coordination, and build better throwing and hitting mechanics, all in a safe and fun environment. You can pick and choose which days to attend to work around your holiday plans. Space is limited, so sign up early for the 2023 Snowball Baseball Camp at thebaseballzone.ca. If you register prior to December 1st, they'll even give you 10% off. Now, back to the interview. But I, let's kind of jump to the players. Let's go to on the field now. I mean, it's great to talk about the front office and the dugout, but nobody pays to see the front office and the dugout. They just like to complain when they do something wrong. As far as the Blue Jays, what are the biggest needs you see for this team? Um, and, and on a side note to that, what are the most realistic ads you would, you think they could make? Now, there's a couple of them that kind of overlap for me. Uh, I, I think that at third base, you need just a third baseman, period. Um, at second base, you're looking at, you know, some internal guys. You have David Schneider, who I like a bit more as a second baseman, maybe the odd time left field. Um, Arelvis Martinez is playing more and more second base. That feels like where he's going to be for good. And I think he fits there body-wise. Arelvis is a big kid, um, not weight, but just very thickly built. And you can tell he's going to stay that way. So, Second feels like it makes sense there. Who is Addison Barger in that situation? Ernie Clement, we'll see. But I think the second base and a utility infielder, you hope that that prospect group takes care of that. Number one, because maybe they're good. Number two, they are cheap. And that is the best thing about prospects for a baseball team. If you can get a good, we don't need to put a wins above replacement or whatever, but a good player from your prospect pool, that could save you 10 million bucks. So now at third base, instead of chasing a guy, you're chasing a real player. Now, third base for me, I don't know if that's a long-term 
fix they find this offseason. I liked what they did two years ago with Matt Chapman, finding a guy later in his team control with a couple years left. Maybe there's a shorter term free agent while they find a prospect over the next couple of years. We'll see. Left field, I think, can also be viewed in a bit more of a vacuum. Third base and left field, I think, are more traditional needs. There is an opportunity, I think, for the Blue Jays to find a bit more power. You move over Dalton Varsho to center, where he could win a gold glove probably pretty easily. And in left field, you try to find some offense. I do think the name that's not being talked about enough is Alan Roden, the outfield prospect. Not a big power guy whatsoever, but an on-base monster. The Blue Jays love him. But he is the exact type of hitter that they are obsessed with developing now. That kind of Spencer Horwitzy type of just on-base machine that you want to pack in around Vladdy and Bo, around the power guys, if they hit for power. But those needs, I, I think third base and left field, a little simpler. Second base and the reserve infielders when you can get some overlap, some prospects. But if you want to set a number, I think it's kind of in that three range where they need to get three legitimate big leaguers. Um, a fourth spot can be filled by prospects. You can add a veteran bat as a kind of Brandon Belt replacement uh, if he does not return. There's some options there. And for me, honestly, guys, I, I wrote about this a bunch today for a newsletter tomorrow, so it's just in my brain. But the number five starter job is where it gets most interesting to me because that's not as simple. You need a third baseman, you get one. Left field, you get one. Cool. It'll be someone. But who is Alec Manoa? Can you trust him to be a number five? Ross Atkins says he's going to get a leg up in the competition. I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. But you need at least a legitimate MLB pitcher to compete with Alec Manoa. Maybe that's a veteran, a guy who's 36. Maybe it's a swing, like a Nick Martinez-y type swingman type of guy who can go into the bullpen if not. The Blue Jays also need some rotation depth beyond that because they have been so lucky the last two years. Ross Stripling last year when he stepped in and saved the rotation – they didn't have to go any deeper into that depth. This year, when Alec Manoa got optioned, their first move was Trevor Richards and a bullpen game. That is not the depth you want to have. When he got optioned again, Hunjin Ryu was there to save the damn day. That's so fortunate for them. Now, I, I, I'm trying to make a point of not saying it's all luck because shout out to the training staff and those veteran pitchers. Credit to them fully. But eventually, and it might be this year, the Blue Jays are going to need 11 starters. They're going to need 10. That happens most years. Uh, they're not always going to be that fortunate. So the positional needs are big and obvious and straightforward. The more tangled one and the one where surprises could come, I think, is on the pitching side and what they do with the back end of that rotation. It's, it's a pretty interesting one for me. And it's interesting you say that because I also thought the same thing that that fifth starter role and, and the depth beyond that is going to be maybe what fans aren't thinking about. Is there any chance that in, in your mind that you see or you hear that they may go after a bigger name in the starting rotation, which then filters everybody else down a slot? I don't think it's likely. Um, everything is always possible, especially when you consider Kikuchi has one year left. Uh, the Blue Jays do love getting a year ahead of things. 
normally they do that more via trade than free agency. But when you look at the top of the market with Yamamoto, you look at Aaron Nola, who a couple of years ago, Aaron Nola is the classic Jays pitcher because he's durable, big, durable guy who doesn't get hurt a ton. That He'd be a guy they would have gone after like a Gosman a couple of years ago type of deal. Even looking down at Snell, Montgomery, those types, logically there's going to be another team or 10 who need them more than the Blue Jays, I think. Now, if there is a value play to be had, maybe in that mid-range, sure, I, I can see them jumping in on that. But the top end of the market, I would expect to get pretty expensive this offseason. It's not a good free agent class anywhere, really. If you're looking for top-end pitching, you've got a couple options. But once you see Yamamoto go, and I think I'm most interested in him because it's a little more difficult to project a number, a term and an overall number, for a pitcher coming to Major League Baseball. But after he goes off the board, if he's an early one, it's going to happen fast and it's going to be real expensive. So it'll be a, a tough market. Uh, between now and when it happens, we will see 10,000 reports that the Blue Jays are interested in this guy and that guy. I despise the MLB offseason because, man, it lacks critical thinking. Um <laughs> in what is put out there and what isn't. But uh, it's, I, I think, not the most realistic outcome, I don't think. I, I think you're seeing either a mid-range value play where the Blue Jays jump in to grab a guy or a real approach at the bottom end to build up depth, saving that money instead for position players. Yeah, I think Twitter or X or whatever it's called now is not a fun place to be this time of year blue jays are tied to everybody on the market it seems like somebody mentioned yeah but... yeah it, it's it's really not it's um sometimes i just should i just hand my phone to an agent and let them tweet for me at, at yeah. this point uh yeah uh it's a some uh some bs detectors need to be uh tinkered with and upgraded around this time yeah well that's 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 every day but yeah the, the yeah. baseball <laughs> season is uh especially um, but so you say three big leaguers, uh, I'm assuming you mean three established big leaguers that this yeah. team should try to target. Give me some names. Give me, give me a fifth starter. Give me a third baseman. Give me an outfielder. If the Jays were rolling the spring training tomorrow, they would feel really good about acquiring. Yeah. Fifth, fifth starter is an interesting one for me. Like when you look down the line here and I'm just trying to bring up what I wrote earlier, so I'm not missing anything, but when you look down the line, you know, Martinez is one I mentioned. There's, Tyler Molly, Kyle Gibson, some of these guys lower down, Sean Manea, lower down. None of these are going to excite anybody, and that's why they're lower down. <laughs> that's how this works. But kind of in that group of guys who are only going to get a year, maybe this is a sweet spot. Going back to what I said about Kikuchi, maybe this is a sweet spot where the Blue Jays find a guy on a two-year type of deal, meaning that this year and next year, they've got at least four guys in that rotation. Who, who's Alec Manoa? We don't know yet, but you've got four, and you go from there with Manoa, Tiedemann, and the rest. We'll see from that group, but I think a one- or two-year deal makes sense. In the outfield, Cody Bellinger is a dream fit for the Blue Jays, which means he's a dream fit for everybody else. That's the uh, maybe my number one pet peeve about the offseason. Isn't this guy a great fit for the Blue Jays? Yes. There are 29 other people in 29 cities who look and sound just like you. He's a, he's a great baseball player. I really like Reese Hoskins as a fit for the Blue Jays. I think that's a guy that makes a lot of sense. When I try to think back through 
you know, Matt Chapman towards the tail end, Marcus Samian on that pillow contract. The Blue Jays have done some really good work with that, getting guys who know they can come join this lineup and boost their value a bit. Some of them take that opportunity, some not. Uh, even with the Kevin Kiermeyer signing last year, they nailed that one. You know, credit where it's due, that, that worked out. Brandon Belts, I believe, worked out when he was healthy. When you try to grab a guy like that coming off a of surgery, there's upside there. Yeah, there's a lot of intrigue with guys like Soler looking for power, trying to chase some power. But I think you need to be careful to not totally get away from being a defensive sharp team as well. It's how much do you want to pivot? How much do you want to go there? I, I know it's out there now. They've been speaking to Candelario, a guy who can play some third base. Justin Turner is on that map as a guy that can DH do a bit. Um, I, I'm sure we'll get to Joey Votto as well. I think that's going to be um, every off season. There's one story that uh, you just can tell uh, that's uh, you're going to hear a lot of. And uh, that's my polite way of saying one story that you get sick of every off season. I'm trying to be uh, a little more polite for the, uh, the Canadian uh, legend here. I, but, I was, I, I was, I wish you could see my phone because Votto is on my phone as something to over. talk about. We will get there in a minute. All over. But uh, it's, um, and that's, that's his interest as it gets too with this connection and the narrative but you know, position wise as you get down that list it's it's not as easy i really think or sorry pitching you can fix it with money i think that position players i think we see them hit the trade market the trade market has been very kind to them look back at the matt chapman deal i i, I did yesterday look at gunner hoglin kevin smith zach Logue, whatever more often than not you're going to win those trades unless somebody goes out and turns into a superstar. Every once in a while, you'll trade away Fernando Tatis, sure. But more often than not, you're going to win those deals in a couple of years. And I think the trade market, something that feels like a Chapman kind of deal, getting a good to very good player with a year or two left, I think trade market's going to be where they head for at least one position. Yeah, how that was actually another question I had was how active do you think they will be in the trade versus free agency, given the class that it is, given their history of of those types of trades? Do you think they'll be it'll be an active offseason for trades for the Blue Jays specifically? Yeah, I think they need to. And the Blue Jays, it's the weird thing about this team, guys, is that when I look back at their last 10, 20, 30 major moves, I like most of them. It just doesn't work out. So it's, it's for many reasons the Blue Jays are a strange team to cover. And, All Blue Jays fans, uh... yeah, my goodness. But when I look back at so many of these free agent signings, you do not see teams like the Blue Jays with this big of a payroll who just don't have a terrible contract. They don't have that albatross thirty-eight-year-old with bad knees who's still owed seventy million bucks. It, the contracts are pretty good. Berrios has saved his. Gossman's looked great. Bassett's looks great. Kikuchi's now looks great. That whole rotation. When you look at what they've done in terms of free agency positionally, looks pretty good. Trades have looked good. I like what they've done on the trade market. I think that they find the right places to enter the trade market. That's not swinging big to get Juan Soto. That's entering to get someone like Chapman at that level. I think the trade market's going to be pretty attractive for them. Um, for, for the sake of framing, um, more than an average offseason. An above average interest in the trade market. Their farm system isn't great. 
but you're not trying to get a superstar. You're trying to get a player to fill a couple of years, a good player. The Blue Jays have enough on their top end. They have so much middle infield depth when you look at Schneider uh, with Clement in there. You have Addison Barger, Aurelvis Martinez. You have Leo Jimenez, who I think is going to be a pretty popular name that other teams ask about. Uh, they have before, but there's a lot to deal from there. That's kind of close. You know, all of those names are kind of like who Kevin Smith was a few years back. And you can find your new version of Gunnar Hogland and Zach Logue, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned some of those prospects that we talked about, Roden, Martinez, Barger. Um, how much of a chance are those guys realistically going to get? Because some of them fill the holes that the Blue Jays need. Do you think they would feel comfortable heading into – I don't want you to obviously speak for them, but do you think they would feel comfortable heading into spring training with some of those guys battling it out for position? I think they, they will, and I think they need to. Um, in my mind, kind of a a perfect or a sensible scenario is you have a veteran third baseman who's here for a year or two. If they play to their talent, great, you're good. But you're also okay with them getting leapfrogged by a prospect. Eventually, you've got to do this. That's why the Dodgers are so good every year. is because they have that farm system that keeps giving them a guy, a guy, a guy. Now, you can't hand a job to them, but my God, we saw what David Schneider did to this team last year. He pulled the ball in the air. What a concept. I mean, after watching this offense all year, David Schneider was such a breath of fresh air. Now, not everyone's going to be him. A couple of these guys will come up and fail, completely fall flat on their face. But it's going to be a big camp. I mean, Addison Barger has lost a lot of steam. A year ago, or let's say March, if you had have asked me 2024 opening day third baseman when training camp ended, I would have bet on Addison Barger. Now I think he's probably more of an outfielder, utility guy that's – um, got that Brett Laurie Red Bull energy to him. <laughs> He's a, a, an interesting player. We'll see if that pans out. I'm not as confident now. But when you have Davis Schneider right there, and when you have Ernie Clement, who I know is not a top prospect guy, but I think there's actually something to him, and have them competing for something. And Arelvis Martinez is close behind. Maybe he is the biggest power bat in this lineup in two years. Maybe he strikes out 300 times and we never see him. He's he's the ultimate capital P prospect. My God. But there's that upside there that you can at least give him a shot. You can have the guys like David Schneider, Ernie Clement, et cetera, working in, trying to earn more reps. And every year or two, you just love it when a guy like Aurelvis Martinez gets a shot at something. It won't always work, but when it works, it pays off incredibly because he's he is special when he's right, you know, like we saw late in the season. Alan Roden, I think, is an interesting one. I do think that at some point next season, he's playing regularly for the Blue Jays. I think he's a really impressive player. Doesn't happen right away, but kind of like third base. If you've got a guy like but don't love, We'll see how Alan Roden looks in two or three months, and you go from there. I think a couple of these positions, now the more I talk about it, can kind of be a little fluid. You know, how they look on opening day might not be how they look in July. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, we're the Canadian Baseball Network podcast. We already touched on it, so I have to ask you about Joey Votto. Who knows if it happens? If it does happen, how does he fit in, and, and what role do you think he could potentially play to help this team? Yeah, we're going to hear about this one every day until he signs. Ross Atkins got asked a thousand questions about this uh, in Arizona yesterday. Now, the Blue Jays, you know, when I say that they've done work on Joey Votto, I mean two years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago. Of course they have. Every team is aware that Joey, the great Joey Votto is a free agent. Everyone knows. And everyone is going to be tempted by that potential of, man, if he can hit 220 and get on base, give us a 750 OPS, what he brings as a person, his experience is more than enough to to make that 750 OPS way more valuable than the average guy's. And in Toronto, there will be the Canadian connection. Now, that's, you know, how much does that matter to Votto? I think it has to mean something. But uh, maybe it goes back to that tiebreaker I talk about. If he gets offered two deals and the Blue Jays are at least close, that's a tiebreaker. You know, he he is a guy, and he had a quote about this, that he he likes to think in terms of a story. You know, his story in Cincinnati, man, what better story than finishing in Toronto? and taking a run in a world series for a player who has meant so much to Canadian baseball and so much to one franchise over the course of his career. What a way to end it. I think there will be legitimate interest from the blue Jays, but in a, in a very strange way, when I was thinking about this yesterday, guys, I almost thought to, the, the conversations that we often have, if anyone listening is a, an NFL fan, and it always happens when a running back is 28 or a wide receiver is 32, the team they've been with forever lets them go. And everyone thinks, man, they've got one or two more elite years left. 99 times out of 100, the team that knows them best was on to something. And I know that the Reds are going in a younger, faster direction. That's an exciting team. But there's always a reason at the end of the day. We've seen the injuries lately for Joey Votto. The numbers haven't been there. So you're betting on a guy getting healthier and getting better at an age where that rarely happens for baseball players. So I love a story and my God, would I love 10, 20 free stories from Joey Votto this year? Wouldn't that make my life easier? I know it would. I don't think there would be a cooler or more interesting signing but when I step back from the Canadianity of it all, uh, there are a lot of things that make it kind of tough, unfortunately. Is Canadianity a word? Is, is that one you've worked into one of your stories? It is. I'm, I'm going to have to. You know what? MLB.com is essentially an American company, so nobody would know anyways. <laughs> yeah, I think I think when you talk about Votto, obviously there's tons of talk about him being Canadian and the Blue Jays. But I was talking to Jackson before he got on. I think people need to think of it not it's that's not the off-season get that would just yeah. be a cool story and, and, a, and a piece Ooh. around the edge um uh, but let me ask you a, a ridiculous question i know it's ridiculous but it's fun anyways shohei otani any chance that toronto is a as a potential landing destination they'll talk to him you have to and i know with with otani <laughs> even more so than vado we're, we're going to see so many of these side narratives that don't really matter. I, I mean, he can add the Canadian fan base to his American fans. And his I love that one. Asia. 
Nobody cares. I mean, my goodness, the population of Canada is the population of some U.S. states. It's not that big a deal. Um, part of my job, unfortunately, is being really annoying and and trying to, you know, step back on these things. But but you gotta love. I gotta love your brutal honesty with you. It's, yeah. So I, I top season narratives are uh, not my favorite. Uh, if that hasn't been sensed so far. But um, another one you'll hear a lot of is that Toronto is a very international city. So are other cities. And a lot of them are closer to the coast that's closer to where he lives. That's going to matter as well. Um, at the end of the day, money, 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 money. That's what this is about. Every team talking seriously to Shohei Otani is going to say, you can hit, you can pitch when you're healthy, you can do whatever you want. If you want to come over to the owner's house for dinner every night, just do whatever you want. Do anything you want. The marketing possibilities, the interest you will get from Japanese fans, which is such an incredible baseball culture, is not something you can put a dollar on. Whoever pays him the half billion dollars, even if he's toast the last few years, you've gotten your money's worth. It's such a special player. And for 50, 60, 100 years, people will talk about when Shohei Otani played for your team. The Jays will be in on that. Uh, I, I am sure that if he doesn't sign, we will hear about how they were right there at the end because that's how this works. But I do lean to the likelier Dodgers, the obvious teams in that because um, you know, not only are you breaking the bank this year, you're breaking the bank every year. The Blue Jays obviously want the guy but i think every single team wants the guy even the teams that are uh with a payroll that's going to be what his annual is want the guy and yeah there, there's a few percentage points chance you know call it a two three four five six percent chance sure um but I, I don't think the blue jays would be a favorite on that front and we'll see it's gonna be interesting i, I cannot wait to see the number he signs at so, so I'm good to put out on Twitter that Keegan Matheson says the Jays are interested in Shohei Otani and will re are reaching out to him. This is exactly how the offseason works. Absolutely. Interested in. Yeah. The that... Interested in or talking to. My <laughs> God, they get a workout this offseason. They take on a lot of different shapes, but uh, those words get clicked on and people know that. <laughs> That's right. And then uh, not to call you a dream killer, but I guess Otani's still a bit of a stretch for the Jays. But going to the next next spring training, my last question here, what are some of the top storylines you're talk you're thinking about either player-based acquisitions or just leading into the 2024 season? I always try to think about like what's my first question, you know, day one when we show up and they see me walking in and think, oh God, he's here again. And for me, it's Alec Manoa man it's not even in terms of rotation spot like we'll see he's gonna have to compete next spring whether he has an advantage or whether it's a 10-man comp there's going to be a competition which thank god because last spring there was no competition it was nathan lucas versus otto lopez for the 26th spot he barely even played after he won it it didn't matter so it was uh I, the way I say it is that my stories had a lot of me in them through last spring because there wasn't a lot happening. There wasn't a lot of competition. I love a spring training competition. You know, a guy going three for four, and that gives him an edge. A guy having a good pitching performance. That's going to be exciting this spring. I think there's going to be a couple of legitimate competitions that make spring games matter. 
But Alec Manoa is still my number one thing I want to look at when I get there. Because very broadly speaking, I have not loved how this entire story has played out. Um, at times, I have not loved how it's been covered. There have been certain points where I have not stepped into that story, and that's been that's been intentional um, because we have one side of it right now. And I am very interested in hearing Alec Manoa's side. And when I say side, I don't mean to position this as a, a grand drama. I don't think we're there just yet. But this is clearly something where there's a, along with a pitcher who needs to be repaired a bit, there's a relationship that needs to be repaired here. Um, this Blue Jays team hasn't had much in terms of quote-unquote drama since when? Marcus Stroman's exit? It's been a bit. I am so interested to see what Alec Manoa says. I'm so interested to see how it lines up or does not line up uh, with what's been out there, um, with what we have heard, and just to see where he's at mentally. Um, Alec Manoa is a guy who I really believe can grab this as the ultimate chip on his shoulder, I'm going to show you a thing. And it's refreshing when that's real and not just a great athlete grasping for something that's not there. Manoa, like th this will be an amazing comeback story if he pulls it off. It will be the story of the year because he's a guy who physically and mentally last year, I think was a real dose of reality. So Alec Manoa and the full story, I, I guess I'll say is the number one guy I want to talk to. That sounds like a great documentary title you should work on that i don't know if you have any videography skills but there there was that great uh, really the, the alec manoa sportsnet documentary last spring which was, was so well done that six-parter um that i was i was part of saying a lot of nice things which aired before it went all wrong i uh i've asked my friends at sportsnet if we can scrub me i uh i for the first time in my career i'm on the record being wrong but uh but here we are so that's number one for me guys and then really i for spring, I just love prospect stuff in spring. You know, when the season starts, covering 162 baseball games, I'm not going to pretend that I am watching prospects on MILB TV. I usually get to Dunedin and Buffalo once or twice a year, but I don't get up close and personal with prospects. I'm so interested to see Ricky Tiedemann next year. This guy could be that kind of dominant maybe shorter burst, like Blake Snell-esque lefty. Not that level, that's a huge level, but that style of guy who can really dominate in bursts or the, go the other way. We know Nate Pearson was a lesson for a lot of people. Does it go in that direction where eventually he's an, you know a big-time reliever from the left side? How does that health hold up? How does his innings hold up? But his potential is stupid. I know that there's not always a big chance that a pitching prospect reaches that potential. But when you see Ricky Tiedemann on the right day, and I still remember last spring training, there's the complex in the middle and four, five, six fields that kind of fan out in every direction. A couple of times I was lucky enough to stumble over when it would be Ricky Tiedemann facing some single A hitters, some double A hitters. He made them look ridiculous. And when he is on, it's amazing to watch. It's watching him is real fun. So that could go in a million different directions, but 
when someone has that potential, it's just so exciting to be around, uh, I think, because one out of every 10 of them, when it works out, man, it's special. And Tiedemann has that potential. You know, I think he starts next year in AAA and we'll see where that goes. He could kick that door down pretty quickly, especially if that number five job's open. But the the potential is just really, really there. And he looked great in the fall league. So a, a good way to go into the offseason. Yeah, well, there's a lot to look forward to, obviously, through the offseason and the spring training. Uh, this was a lot of fun, Keegan. I don't, I don't think we solved anything. Um, I don't hey. think we were going to. <laughs> but uh, I'm looking forward to your coverage and, and seeing how uh, sick, you, sick you are of the, the hot weather four days into spring, your 44-day stay in spring training. So, Oh, baby, I love it. We'll, we'll do it again then, and we can pretend like we solved everything at that Ooh. point. Next time we do it, we'll take video and we'll have you in the sunshine and I'll be sitting here in Cranford, Ontario. That is always the the worst thing about my spring training because it's uh, the off-season hits. And, and normally, you know, every day or other day, I'll be doing MLB Network, TSN, whatever on TV. That keeps me, you know, trimmed up, not looking too much like a caveman. Then the off-season comes, it's a little tougher. And all of a sudden, after three months of barely being on television, boom. It is suddenly, I'm, I'm sitting in my apartment, it's minus 10 out, and then out of nowhere, I am in 30 degree humid heat, and I'm having a producer asking me, can you just stand directly in the sunlight? Oh, there we go, good lighting. And I am on TV looking like a mess. I still think back to, this is Luke Maley's last year, I think. I think I've told, told the story, I don't know if I said it was Luke, but... I still remember walking into the clubhouse day one of spring training and he looked at me and he said, Hey Keegs, did you fly down here? Or did you swim? And I said, man, oh man, is it that bad? So it's, uh, I'm going to appreciate the cold days and uh, save up my complaints for, uh, for Florida, my favorite state in America. And I'll be jealous sitting here freezing with a hoodie and maybe a jacket <laughs> on while you're dripping sweat the next time we do this. But Keegan, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. Appreciate you. Well, like I said um, there at the end, we didn't solve much in this conversation, but it sure was fun to look kind of at the needs, the wants, um, what's realistic and even what's not. And a guy like Shohei Otani, it's always fun this time of year to talk about those sort of things. And Keegan gave some good insight. Um, about what what fans can expect over the next couple of months leading into spring training. Yeah, and it's a great time of year for crazy proclamations, right? And as he talked a lot about, feels like every team is interested in or talking to uh, certain players, especially this year, Otani and Bellinger. But you know, one thing that Keegan pointed out um, that I agreed with, and I and I thought was an interesting point that you don't see covered a lot right now early on in the off season is that maybe they don't need to get you know established big leaguers at every single position. And that maybe there is room for some, especially on the position player side, for some of these players who were at the upper uh, reaches of the minors to potentially, uh, you know, get some opportunity in the big leagues in 2024. Whether that's, as he mentioned, Alan Roden, whether that's Elvis Martinez, David Schneider and Ernie Clement continue to get opportunities. Uh, Barger, what are they going to do with him? There's some trades there to be made for sure. Yeah, and I was curious about the perspective of the trade market versus free agency because what the Jays are looking for primarily is the position player side, which isn't as strong as yeah. the starting pitching market this year. Um, he mentioned the back bounce back potential of Manoa, Ricky Tiedemann, Tiedemann he talk, spoke about at the end, uh, Roden or Elvis Martinez. How do these guys fit in, and is there an actual competition for them heading into spring training? 
Um, obviously, that depends what happens over the next few months. Yeah. Uh, but Ross Atkins is not shy about uh, making trades. You look back to last year, you look at the Teoscar trade, you look at the Gurriel trade. Um, so it, it it could come and it could come fast, as Keegan said. Yeah, and like the market will likely play out pretty quickly because it's a lot of people will be waiting on Otani and Bellinger, right? I know Otani doesn't really set the market because there's not a lot of other two-way players, but because those big market teams like the Dodgers, Giants, Yankees, well, they're saving all their money for Otani. So there's going to be a lot of people who don't get Otani, right? A lot of teams that are going to miss out who all of a sudden will have some money to spend. That's where Cody Bellinger is counting his checks, right? And, and so, and other players, you go down the line, Candelario, Chapman as well. Um, it's not a great free agent class uh, for position players, as you mentioned. So that is where it opens up the trade market and you can get as crazy as you want when it comes to potential trades too. So, uh, you know, this offseason will certainly have lots of crazy hypotheticals, I'm sure, but you know, I'd imagine the St. Louis Cardinals, you look at a team like that has a lot of position players, right? And and they're sort of in a weird time in their franchise. The Cincinnati Reds also have a good amount of young, uh, controllable players, especially the infield. Are they all going to get enough opportunity? So I will remind you too, you know, boy, a lot of people sure have pretty strong takes on that Varshall trade right now. Uh, that certainly differ from maybe where they were, say, when that trade happened. I, I do find that to be interesting as well. Yeah, and, and good, bad, and potentially ugly. We'll be here to break it all down throughout the offseason uh, on the Canadian Baseball Network and the Canadian Baseball Network podcast. We thank you for listening, and until next time, take care. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out Canadian Baseball Network for extensive and comprehensive coverage of the latest in Canadian baseball. And the Baseball Zone, Canada's leading instructional baseball academy and training home to thousands of MLB, pro, college, and youth baseball players.